This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Point of Sale, the show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. Each week, I have a discussion with an expert guest to break down a certain aspect or segment of the retail supply chain. If you're a subscriber to the Point of Sale newsletter, you know all too well my fascination with different e-commerce fulfillment methods and know how hot the segment is right now. Today, we're going to break down some of those different strategies and talk about the trade-offs between them with Rick Watson. Rick is the founder and CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting based in New York City, where he consults retailers on e-commerce operations. Before we do that, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, ArcBest. ArcBest is more than logistics. Whatever you do, whatever you ship, ArcBest makes it easier for you to do business. ArcBest combines reliable capacity, innovative technology, and trusted relationships to take the complexity out of your supply chain and keep your shipments moving. That's what makes ArcBest more than logistics. Rick. Thanks for taking the time, and welcome to Point of Sale. Thanks so much. I appreciate being on, Andrew. Rick, you've already got some brownie points in my book. I saw on LinkedIn that you are a Commodore. Uh, you are a member of the fellow plight of Commodore fans, so uh, you're a good one in my book. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. You know, we're, we're not there for the football team. I'll say that. Certainly not. It's not always easy being a Vanderbilt fan, but uh, it is rewarding when we do have those good seasons. But let's leave it at that. All right, Rick, let's jump right into it, man. Let's talk broadly for a moment. Talk to me about some of the different fulfillment strategies that retailers are implementing because there's quite a few different ones that different retailers are approaching. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different ones that are out there. Um, I'll, I'll say the ones who got started uh, the earliest are really kind of the, the Target and Amazon models. And they really started from two ends of the fulfillment spectrum. Amazon, because they don't have any stores to leverage, kind of the centralized fulfillment model and regional fulfillment model. And they're trying to make things as automated as possible for direct consumer e-commerce. And they started by leveraging you know, the, on the backs of other parcel networks until they got strong enough to build really their own and to literally bypass almost everyone. Um, Target kind of saw this coming up and took a completely almost 180 degree mirror image approach where our stores and the people that run those stores and our associates are really the center of their strategy. Um, and they found that if, if we're going to have an e-commerce business and bypass our stores, we're not going to have any competitive advantage against Amazon. So they really place the stores at the center against everything. And I think from an innovation point of view, they saw that they weren't going to be able to hire precisely the same amount of talent as Amazon, but they invested pretty early in startups like uh, Shipped and Delive. Where, that they acquired to sort of augment their technical expertise. So the, the amazing thing about Target is that over 90% of all direct consumer orders are shipped from stores or picked up at stores. And so it's a super interesting and, and scalable model for them. And then I think kind of in between that uh, is you have something uh, that, that's it's more like a Walmart where they are 
for decades and decades have been one of the best in the world at essentially retail replenishment. Uh, and that has required them to have supply chains all over the world. E-commerce has taken a much longer time for them to get their arms around. But they're finally, I would say, in the past five or six years, leveraging the backs of the jet acquisition and some of the upsides from that and some of the downsides from that. Um, and they're, they're, they're kind of settling on a market that's not too dissimilar to what Target is do, doing, but perhaps a little more automated in-store with micro-fulfillment. Yeah, you're right. Target has been an absolute monster this year with the pickup. I think it's up 500% year over year in the latest month. They, as you said, are delivering 95% of their orders from stores. It's just, it is remarkable. Tell, tell me about some of the decisions that go into a Target rolling out with that strategy. How do retailers decide what fulfillment strategies are best for them? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, look, the big players like Amazon and Walmart and Target can afford to build everything in-house. Everyone, almost everyone else in the world is going to have to use some kind of service provider. And so there, to me, it always starts with a strategic decision about what do you want to be the best at and what are the key assets in your chain? Are you trying to be the best in direct consumer? Do you have stores to leverage? How many of them? How are they staffed? What is the activity in those stores? How well trained are those you know, clerks? So you need to make a decision to where like, a little bit more centralized model or a little bit more distributed model. And so that that's sort of the number one decision. That needs to come in, that needs to be layered on top of like who you are as a brand and what kind of experience do you want for the consumer when they call you on the phone, when they place an order online or when they walk into the store. If you don't start with the consumer and then go to what capabilities you need to support that consumer, then usually what you're going to do is end up spending a lot of money on systems that you don't need or don't reinforce like whatever your primary value proposition is. So let's circle back around to the big guys here in a moment. Let's talk about small retailers, small e-commerce focused mm-hmm. retailers. Are, is Amazon and Shopify the only option for these companies anymore? How, you know, they're not, they don't have the money or the, the talent to be able to spin out their own versions of this technology. How should they go about you know, keeping up with the ever-changing consumer demands? Yeah, look, the great thing if you're a brand is that you have a lot of options and there are plenty of service providers out there to help you compete like the big guys. Uh, Shopify is one of them and it's certainly a very popular e-commerce platform, but there's big commerce, there's WooCommerce, there's a number of up and coming players that are being funded all the time. And the models for a new provider to choose are like very low monthly cost to set up a store. And even for that store to be integrated with your wholesale channel or retail stores, um, you you can get by that for you know, hundreds of dollars a month uh, as as a point of entry, which is pretty reasonable. And then on the on the other side, the fulfillment side, there are a couple of different fulfillment providers you can choose that could help manage your operations. And it's it's gotten for the point where you used to have to build your own warehouse or lease a warehouse and then stock it and everything. So now there are totally outsource not only fulfillment models, but operations and order management models where you're paying for orders you send them and you don't have to do anything else. It's sort of hands off uh, from customer service and a logistics point of view. So for those small retailers that are, you know, maybe trying to compete with Amazon or the Targets and Walmarts, what should they do to compete, right? Should they chase the same-day delivery, two-day delivery, the ever faster faster delivery that Amazon and Target are rolling out? Or should they focus on other aspects, such as accuracy and delivery times or better information on their websites? Yeah, I, I think information, personality, 
and service are kind of the key differentiators for most smaller merchants that Amazon is never going to have. They're never going to be able to know a single category as well as any small business has as a passionate founder. They're never going to know their fans, what they need. They can get actually products before Amazon. They can identify trends and develop a connection to those consumers. Yeah, I like the, the thought of existentialism. You know, you see it with Netflix or Spotify or all these companies that have been, it's their only thing is they have to either stream music or stream movies, and that's what they have to be good at. Whereas Amazon or Google or Alphabet, all these other companies that are trying to get in their, their segments, it's not their only thing. And if they failed at it, then it's just a waste of money. Right. Yeah, and, and I think you also, it's helpful for a small business not to overly romanticize Amazon. Amazon is actually can be your friend and foe because you have you know, 80% of the, of the United States at least starting their e-commerce searches on Amazon now or near about, near about that number, um, you could use it as a way to introduce new brands and products that you offer and drive those people eventually back to your e-commerce site. So um, I think there are plenty of categories that Amazon is not good at and has failed at, you know, collectibles, uh, anything secondhand or refurbished, they have not been good at, anything apparel beyond like, essentials like socks and underwear and things like that most people aren't buying anything other than those sorts of things on amazon beauty uh kids and, and baby items so there are a number of the things that amazon is not great at so rick when you are consulting with retailers and e-commerce brands what is your suggestion to them when it comes to different channels should they just have as many as possible and then try to incentivize customers to use the ones that are most efficient and most profitable for them or should they just prioritize whatever customers are desiring the most um, like in terms of the channels you're offering by which you're meaning like sales channels, it, it has to be where, where your customers are. And I would say th the key idea is like, as, as a startup, you have, you have two things to remember. One is you can never put all your eggs in one basket. And so there are so many Amazon only businesses that are only on Amazon and they're an FBA. And then there is one fraud complaint and then your whole business is shut off. And so having a store having, you know, being on Facebook, being on your own website, being on Amazon, being on eBay, as many channels as, as you can support. Um, I think that is super valuable because you want to grow those channels over time and, and take the long game. The, sec the second thing I would say is you need to prioritize. It's pretty well known in e-commerce. It's e-commerce is maturing. And so people know the biggest channels now. It's like Facebook, Google, Amazon are the big three. Before you get into TikTok and affiliate and Pinterest and this and that, you need to understand like what your strategy is for the big items, you know, and then also work on your own channels like SMS and email so that you can actually have a one-to-one -one customer relationship with your consumers. I think that everybody chasing Amazon with the same-day delivery and two-day delivery is a little bit of a Trojan horse, and they're, they're, they're chasing after what Amazon is really good at, what, how Amazon differentiates its value. And it doesn't seem to me to be the best strategy to just chase faster and faster delivery. They should rather you know, offer it, offer the same-day delivery should customers want it, give it through Instacart or through DoorDash or Shipped or whoever wants to deliver it for an additional fee but then also incentivize customers to use BOPIS or pick up from store or other fulfillment methods that are more efficient and more profitable for the stores. How do you think that retailers should balance the desire to meet customer expectations and the need for long-term profitability? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the size of your brand uh, to start with. 
Um, if you're just a small retailer starting out, you should have minimum standards, which are one to two day delivery. And you probably don't need to go more than that just to get yourself off the ground and growing. You don't need to offer two hour delivery to be successful in your market. Some products don't have that quick turnaround needs. And so I think um, really testing your marketing and that it's working and that your operations are working and you have repeat customers and they're coming back to you based on your service levels, that's really your gauge to tell you what's working or not. If people try you one time and don't come back at a rate that you're profitable, that's how you know Like I should pull back on marketing and actually work on my operations anymore. Like Maybe I need to make my fulfillment better. Maybe I need to work on my customer service or my product. And then I can re-engage and improve my marketing uh, and uh, and, and allow my model to work that way. That seems to be a strategy that many retailers have taken on during COVID, draw down marketing and work on BOPIS and curbside and fulfillment methods. Tell me, tell me some other ways that COVID has changed the way that retailers have looked at e-commerce fulfillment. Yeah, I, I think um, the big thing is in the categories that, um, that weren't so uh, high adoption for. So I think home and furniture are big ones. I think grocery is a is a huge one. Um, I think fashion and beauty continues to be um, high. Like fashion has always been pretty high adoption, but beauty, interestingly enough, has been a category that has resisted, e- you know, e-commerce where folks like Sephora and and others have been dominant. So I think the big thing is the frequency of purchases online in those categories just just continues to accelerate, and so. It's not just about the fulfillment. It's also about the availability. The thing that I think a lot of people have is like, it's great if you can ship fast if you're in stock. I think most people's problem is like they actually don't have the goods in stock. And so the supply chain issue isn't the capability. It's actually the availability. Right. That makes total sense given now with inventory levels at the lowest point they've been in you know, <laughs> about a dozen years. Let's talk about DC and warehouse positioning. So how does the desire for faster delivery, everybody chasing Amazon, how does that change retailers' outlook on where to position DCs and warehouses? Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, you know, this game is a little more well understood these days. Now, when they were, you know, compared to 10 or 15 years ago, if you have two or three fulfillment centers, you know, one in the Midwest and the Northeast and one in the West, then you can probably hit most of the, you know, 98% of, of zip codes in in two days. Now, if you're trying to get to same day or next day, then obviously you need more your regional distribution. But step one is where's your product? And step two is where are your customers? And so those are the key variables along with your service level to understand like, where do I need to position those DCs in order to have um, kind of the best service? So there are a lot of people, all their customers are in the Midwest or some people that all their customers are on the, like, on the extreme coast, like outside of LA and outside of New York. Um, and, and so um, that kind of modeling, uh, and a lot of times your fulfillment providers can help you with that modeling. Those are some of the first questions we're going to ask you. It's like, okay, we have a 200 node fulfillment network that you can leverage. Where are your customers? That's usually like where they'll start from. Rick, just a moment ago, you mentioned the velocity of online orders picking up for especially segments like furniture, home improvement, and beauty so far this year. Talk to me about how 
the velocity of orders and certain certain segments, uh, certain products lend themselves to be better suited for certain uh, fulfillment methods, whether it be a fully automated warehouse or uh, a more local fulfillment center. What what products are best suited for different fulfillment methods? Yeah, I, I think look, automated, um, you know, small and light is is the obvious choice for for um, automated fulfillment methods because there's not a lot of handling. They're, the decisions are, are easy. These are things that robots can pick up and move around and conveyors can pick up and move around. Things that are oddly shaped or bulky or heavy are things that need to be positioned closer to consumers. Uh, things like furniture um, or appliances or sporting goods uh, or sporting equipment. You know, there's you know a lot of things in the home improvement category that aren't sort of small and light. Um, these are things that I think that are much better to have in a, in, in a more local, uh, fulfillment model, or, um, if you're a retailer in a, in a, in a dropship model where you're not having to ship it to your facility, it's going directly from your vendor to, to the consumer you know, that, that already has their supply chain worked out. Right. You mentioned home improvements and, uh, and exercise equipment. Those have been two major beneficiaries of the COVID induced demand. What are the other, some of the other things that have changed throughout COVID that you see sticking long-term when it comes to e-commerce, when it comes to uh, fulfillment strategies? What, what are some of the changes you think are here to stay? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a whole, I think a, quite a bit of it is demographics. There are, are a huge number of demographics that were not online savvy before that are, that you're just forced to, you know, people's parents and grandparents have gotten more comfortable ordering online and subscribing to things. I think that's another kind of major trend where they've asked their kids, like, how do I set this up? How do I order my groceries so I don't have to go into the store and be safe? And even if they were, let's say they were going to the grocery store three times a week um, before, even if they're now going two times a week and order like online once a week, that's a huge uptick in volume from some of those things. So I think the, the frequency, even if the frequency of retail purchases uh, goes down. I think that's one big thing. Second is I think mechanisms of pickup. And by that, I mean like curbside, like five years ago, who was talking about curbside? Virtually no one. Um, Target and, and Walmart have really kind of led the charge here and Target in particular, such that, I mean, I was in a Target three months ago and you know, you, you press a button when you're in the parking lot and literally there are two people standing there holding packages waiting for my trunk to open. They were already like standing outside. And so I really do not think a consumer will ever go back to going into this, going into the store or waiting to pick up from inside the store. Consumer expectations are already well behind that and they're not going to regress from there. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Uh, my mother, uh, anecdotally, she never orders anything online, especially groceries. She has gone to full online grocery shopping from Walmart <laughs> now She and absolutely loves it. She, I don't think she'll ever step foot inside of Walmart again if she doesn't have to. Rick, uh, here's a little bit of a fun question. What's your favorite of these fulfillment strategies? I haven't asked you that so far. Um, I, I think my favorite is actually Target because I think they're, they're just leading a totally new model. I mean, there have been retailers... You know, BOPUS has been a model that that has been around for a while, but it usually tended to be 20 to 30% of a retailer's orders. Like Best Buy was like pretty famous for early adopting BOPUS and having that kind of ratio, you know, between 25 and 50%, depending on the, the year. But to have somebody who's at the 95% level with pick and store or curbside or something like this, 
that's that's kind of a game changing shift, and I just find it fascinating, only because like it's so different than how e commerce started with these big fulfillment centers that are far away. Do you think it's sustainable? I mean, there, when I, last time I was in Target, there were more pickers than there were uh, actual shoppers in there on the road. Do you think that that is sustainable when COVID is over, we're vaccinated, and stores go back to full capacity? I I, I do think it is sustainable. I you know I think many of these, particularly the bigger companies, the harder the smaller companies have a hard time, and I think Whole Foods has actually suffered with this, where there's more pickers in stores than than some of these things that the store experience has really gotten less. Target, I think. Um, and to a lesser extent, Walmart will be smart enough to maintain that in-store experience because it's such a key part of their DNA that if they get it wrong, you know, customers are going to let them know pretty, pretty fast. Yeah, I think Walmart's management is being pretty shrewd with their movement towards the local fulfillment center, actually either building out some fulfillment on the back of stores or, or having some designated area within stores to kind of get ahead of those shoppers that will be returning to stores and not getting in the way of pickers. Rick? I got to wrap it up, but I do want to give you a moment to give a shout out to anyone listening for where they can go find out more information about your consultancy. Yeah, no, um, you know, online, uh, I have a website and uh, the address is rmwcommerce.com. So we're happy to have anyone check out and, and contact me there. All right. Thank you, Rick. And thank you for everyone watching. This has been episode five of Point of Sale, the show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them and the data they use to make decisions. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again to our sponsor, ArcBest, and we'll see you again next week. Wow.